Welcome to Anchor Point, where we believe that the next 30 minutes could change your life forever. So join us to consider the greatest message ever heard, the good news of the gospel, as well as sound scriptural teaching for believers, all based on the Word of God, the anchor for our souls. The truth of the glorious resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ is not just something that Christians remember every Easter. It's the foundation stone of the Christian faith. What peace and security it provides a believer to know that God is well satisfied with the substitutionary death of His Son, so much so that He raised Him from the dead. In today's broadcast, Speaker Marvin Dirksen looks at the great truth that Christ is indeed alive. He uses the prison writings of the Apostle Paul to a young man named Timothy, explaining how this wonderful resurrection is the answer to all our tears, our fears, and our doubts, how it gives us victory in our daily lives. The risen Christ has the faithful and unlimited ability to preserve believers as they make their way through this troubled scene. His word and daily strengthening grace are pillars that support us and build us up. We trust that today you will consider the bodily resurrection of Christ and its ramifications for your life. We have read in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and this is a well-known verse, Paul is saying, Timothy, when everything else is gone, when everything else goes to the wall, remember, verse 8, remember, Jesus Christ of the seed of David, raised from the dead, according to my gospel, when I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds. What is he saying? He's saying, Timothy, one of the greatest of all resources is the fact that your Savior is living. There is a living Christ, the risen Lord. Remember Jesus Christ of the seed of David, raised from the dead according to my gospel. Now, brethren, we believe that, don't we? And brethren, we preach that. We do. I think we need to preach it more because that's part of the gospel, isn't it? Christ died, buried, raised again. But sometimes, and I'm just going back to Jacob's day, you remember when those brothers came back and they had some evidence, some genuine evidence, brought back a garment, easily recognized. Jacob said, that is Joseph's, but now is stained by blood. And that father came to the only conclusion that he could come to with the evidence that he had. Joseph, my son, is dead. And those dastardly brothers didn't tell him the difference, those sons of his. My little point is this, for years, for years, Jacob lived with a dead Joseph. Now, he couldn't help that. That was the only evidence he had. He had no other news. But I have thought sometimes, do we live with a dead Joseph? Is the risen Christ really a reality in our life? Because it must have been a momentous day in his life when those same evil sons of his came back and said, Dad, we've got some news. Sit down. They said, Dad, Joseph? Remember Joseph? He's alive. And that poor man must have almost had a heart attack at that point. He knew how deceitful his sons were. He said, now don't fool me. Tell me the truth. Yes, Joseph is alive. And there's something else we've got to tell you. Joseph is the prime minister of Egypt. He's got all the keys. Every storehouse belongs to him. He is the number one man. You want grain? You go to Joseph. You want to have a future? You go to Joseph. In fact, that his name is the savior of the world. 
And a man is likely overwhelmed by the truth that Joseph, his son, is alive. You know, when I look at the scriptures, I'm made aware that the risen Christ is really the difference in our life. If the Lord Jesus was in the tomb, we'd be wasting our time having these meetings. We'd be wasting our time remembering him. This would be just a, a sham, a fraud. But because he lives, the realities of God's word are absolutely true. And because he lives, we can face the future regardless of what comes. And as you look at the scriptures, you'll find that there was a woman, and her name was Mary, and she'd come to the tomb, and you remember she was weeping, stood there weeping. They've taken away my Lord. He's not here. I don't know what she would have done with a corpse. I really don't. But this woman's heart was entwined with her Savior. She thought he was her Savior, but he was dead. She'd come to look after a body. And then just one word, her name, from the risen Christ. And he became the answer to her tears. Now, I don't think she stopped crying, but I think that her tears went from sorrow to joy, overwhelmed. You know, there are tears among the Lord's people, tough times, discouraging times, times when we come up against the unknown and the, the unimagined. And yet, he comes alongside as the risen Christ. We are able to smile sometimes through our tears. Sometimes the tears of discouragement and sorrow and despair turn to tears of joy and anticipation. He's alive. He is alive. And the risen Christ became the answer to her tears. There were disciples in an upper room on that first Lord's Day. It says they were there for fear of the Jews. Drapes would have been pulled more than these, and the doors would have been locked. They were one frightened, timid little group. Not much to commend them. Small. They had failed their Lord. They had forsaken him but he meant everything to them. They had heard some wild stories about him being alive, but that couldn't be true. And then it says, then came Jesus and he stood in their midst and he spoke to them and he showed them his hands and his feet and his side. It just says, then, then, were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Why were they glad? Ah, they realized the very one they saw upon a cross is with them in resurrection power. And all of their fears were swept aside. They became men of tremendous courage. They turned the world upside down. They went boldly and preached. He is alive. You crucified him. God raised him from the dead. And the risen Christ became the answer to all of their fears. Now, fear is a real thing. Fear grips all of our hearts. We do fear for the future of loved ones that are still in their sins. We we come into circumstances that we can't handle. We look at the employment situation, we say, what's going to happen? And those are all legitimate fears. But there is one who is alongside of us, who is in our midst, who has promised, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. He is the risen Christ. And he is the answer to every fear that any of the Lord's people have. Tears and fears. You recall, and I'll fast forward the reels because there was Thomas a week later. And Thomas had heard their report. Thomas, we've seen the Lord. You missed it. Why would you have been there? It was wonderful. We talked with him and we ate with him. He showed us the wounds. Thomas, he's really alive. And their hearts were bursting with excitement, with anticipation, with, with exclamation. My, this, this is the unbelievable part. He really is alive. 
they had hardly been able to comprehend it. And Thomas says, oh, uh, I'm not going to believe that kind of a thing. Not me. I'm a man of evidence. I've got to touch it. I've got to see it myself. And, of course, a week later, the Lord came and stood in the midst again. And he turned to Thomas. He said, Thomas, don't be faithless but believing. And in a moment, that man's spiritual understanding was opened and the risen Christ became the answer to all of his unbelief and doubts. And I think we can certainly mention about the fishing trip. I don't know why Peter went fishing. All kinds of suggestions. But he went fishing. Did his best. Worked all the shores. Worked all the, the fishing holes. He knew exactly how to fish. He had done it for years. It, he wasn't a novice. He could do it. This was going to be a great night of fishing. We're going to do it. Despite his best and despite a, a long night, he didn't give up after the first hour. A long night as morning came. There was a stranger on the shore and he just said, uh, Catch anything? Not a thing. Nothing. And with just a few words of instruction, those men responded to the stranger on the shore. And suddenly their nets were full of fish. You see, the risen Christ is the answer to some of our barrenness. Sometimes we do fish all night. Sometimes we do have testimony for God. And it seems to be barren. Seems to be fruitless. Seems to be no results. Don't give up, Christian. Because understand that the man on the shore, the risen Christ, is the answer to all of the barrenness of our lives. He wants to make us fruitful. He wants to fill our nets or our lives with his blessing. He's not withholding blessing. He just wants us to appreciate his presence and his power and his direction. And the risen Christ became the answer to all of their barrenness. That is one of the anchor points that we can tie up our little boat to. Lest we be taken down the stream. Lest we move away from confidence in him. I appreciate Peter's words. The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. And his ears are open unto their cry. What does that mean? Years ago. One of my childhood memories concerns a hockey game that I played. I was involved in some of the sports activities there in my hometown. Just was playing on a school team. Happened to be the goalie. But my father had a small business, so he could never come and watch me. It's not that he didn't want to. He was just, his schedule was more than full. It wasn't a big business, and so he just couldn't slip away. But there was one game. I don't remember the score. don't remember whether we won or lost. don't know who the other team was. You know what I remember about that game? It was the one game that my father was there to watch me. Still stands as a memory. My father was there to watch me. And I thought to myself, you know, something happens. Something happens when our father is watching us. There's a Savior in heaven. His eyes are over the righteous. His focus is you and me. That's sweet, isn't it? That his focus concern is his own people. The eyes of the Lord are just centered on the righteous. Not that he's not interested in others, but this is a special treasure, a peculiar treasure. We belong to him. The risen Christ has his focus on us. And when we understand he is watching us, he is following us, he is walking with us, something happens when we understand that our Father, and in this case our Savior, is watching us. The risen Christ is one of the great anchor points, one of the great foundation stones upon which we can build our lives without being carried out to sea. We've noticed in chapter 1 that Paul could say, I'm not ashamed, I, I'm suffering a great deal. Verse 12, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. 
And here's the reason. He says, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Now, I'm going to take it just as it stands here. There are alternate renderings, alternate readings, and it could be what he has entrusted to us. But anyway, he says, For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. The truth here is really found in these little words, He is able. There are tremendous forces moving against Christianity, against the gospel, against assemblies of Christians. And yet Paul is saying, Timothy, Christ is alive. And with that risen stature, with that risen reality, there comes unlimited ability. He is able. And the Word of God is filled with the tremendous truth of the ability of our Lord, of our great high priest, of our risen bridegroom. But let me just remind you very quickly, he is able to save to the uttermost all that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Now, that, of course, is not the gospel truth. He is able to save everyone. But this is the idea that he is able to save to the uttermost point, right to the end of the journey, all that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. There is a real living high priest at God's right hand. He is living there for us, and he is able to save to the uttermost. That's eternal security, isn't it? That's a certain salvation. That gives us tremendous, not license, but tremendous confidence and liberty to enjoy and to live as God would want us to live. The book of Jude says he is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. He is able to keep you from falling. Someone suggested one time, and that's an interesting thought, that Noah could well have fallen down inside the ark. I don't think it was just kind of a nice gentle rain for 40 days. Could well have been that continents were moved. Could have been that there have been some very massive upheavals and that large box would have been moved back and forth with a tremendous storm. Noah could well have fallen down inside the ark, but he could never have fallen outside the ark. He is able to keep you from falling altogether and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Interesting that this is the last mention of joy in the Bible. It's his joy in us. The first mention of joy in the New Testament concerns the wise men. It was their joy in him. They rejoiced. They saw his star. They rejoiced with exceeding great joy. My, we're about to see the king of the Jews. We're about to see him. Their joy in him. But here it's his joy in us. And there's a day coming when he will present us faultless as his purchased possession as his bride, with exceeding joy. What a moment for him. He is able to do that. He is able to succor them that are tempted. So as this week unfolds, there will be temptations, there will be trials, there will be difficulties. There will be two roads, possibly, that would come into our pathway. He is able to draw alongside, to encourage, to assist, to strengthen, to succor them that are tempted. He is able to make all grace abound toward you. He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. His plan and his purpose is going to be fulfilled. And Paul was saying to Timothy, Timothy, don't hesitate. Don't waver. You are linked with the risen Christ. You are linked with this absolute ability and power. But he said, Timothy, the word of God is not bound. What's he saying? He's saying, Timothy, you're well aware I'm bound. I'm on death row. I don't have long to live. The preacher has been bound. But Timothy, you are linked 
with an unbound word. The word of God is not bound. And he's reminding him that this book is living. This book is powerful. This book will accomplish that whereto it was sent. Sometimes we lose sight of this fact, that God's word will not return unto him void. Isaiah 55 tells us, It shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. It will accomplish, and it will prosper. And he says, It will not return unto me void. And if we could only appreciate the power of this book, the power of this message. Years ago, they used to cut pulpwood, and they'd put the, the pulpwood on the ice, on the rivers. And in the middle of wintertime, you could pass those rivers, and there'd be, I was going to say, miles and miles of pulpwood all stacked up, just sitting there on the ice, day after day after day, nothing is changing, nothing is moving, until maybe March or likely April, and the temperatures start going up, and the ice begins to change. Then all of a sudden you hear a a split and a crack. Something's happening, and the ice begins to move, and the logs that were on top of the ice are now in the water, and they're moving. What made the difference? Power of the sun. Our brothers and sisters are putting the pulpwood on the ice of human hearts. Maybe not too receptive right now, but they're at least getting the word of God. It's being put into their minds. It's being put into their souls. It's being put into their hearts. And all it takes is a little bit of the warmth of the sun. Our responsibility is to put the pulpit on the ice, is to plant the seed, is to convey this unbound word. And who knows when God will use his word and power? Who knows what circumstances will be brought to bear upon them? Who knows how God will rearrange the temperature of their life until finally the word that was spoken maybe 20 years ago. Oh, it's the exact word that suddenly becomes a part of their memory, part of their conviction, part of their soul. I need to be saved. And they're brought into the reality of God. Here's Timothy. Paul is saying, Timothy, the word of God is not bound. Preach it. Live it. Give it out. Because who knows? Who knows where that word will go? Christian, That's a foundation stone for our lives. Keep sowing, keep planting, because this book and the truth of this book will go a lot further than what we ever imagined, and it will accomplish far more than what we can fathom. God is using his word, and he has promised it will not return unto me without results. The word of God is not bound. Just look at verse number 19. We're on the same page. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. What is Paul saying here? He's saying, Timothy, things are a little bit shaky right now. Tough times. Asia has moved away from me. Demas has left me. Everything is very much in flux. But he said, Timothy, remember this. The foundation of God standeth sure. What does that mean? It means that God's work will be victorious. And one of the verses that has encouraged me is what the Lord Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Satan is not going to get the victory. The foundation of God, the purposes of God, the foundation of God's word, the foundation of God's dealings, they stand sure. The CN Tower, been up there? 1,800 feet high. Foundation goes down 120 feet down to bedrock. And one of the believers in Toronto, working for a communications company, he says, I've been up at the top, way up beyond the uh, observation deck and the, and the restaurant. And he says, boy, that tower, it does shake. Uh, it, it's designed to shake. Six feet, I think, something like that. He says, you can feel the thing shaking. Designed that way. But oh, thank God the foundation doesn't shake. It is on bedrock. And sometimes, maybe in our lives personally, things look pretty shaky. 
The winds are pretty strong. We're kind of blown around. Going to stand? We're going to last? Well, it's not a matter that we can just kind of put it in cruise control. But we can rest on the tremendous truth of a solid, sure foundation. God's purposes are being carried out. Yes, despite our sin, despite our failure, despite our weakness, God still accomplishes his work with tremendous effect. You know what our problem is? I think our problem is a vision problem. And by that, I simply go back to Elijah. And you remember Elijah in the cave? He had stood just a few days before on Mount Carmel. He had seen the fire fall. What a thrilling moment. What a tremendous victory. Those priests of Baal had all been cut down. The apostasy of the land had been turned back. And the very next day, we see a frightened prophet, and he's running for all he's worth. And he ran quite a distance, crawls under a juniper tree, and then, you know, gets some angelic food, and he hightails it down the road again and crawls into a cave. He finally hears the voice of God. And you remember what he said? I'll just paraphrase it. He said, Lord, it's not right. He says, I stood up there and I witnessed. He said, I was there all by myself. And he says, there wasn't one person that stood with me. He said, it's just not fair. And they're trying to take my life. I'm the only one that is left. And the Lord said to him, Elijah, you have a vision problem. He says, in Israel, I have reserved to myself 7,000 men that have not bowed the knee to Baal. 7,000. Sometimes we get the Elijah complex, don't we? We think we're the only ones that are left. And we're not very much ourselves. So, boy, God's work goes beyond our scope of times. God is doing a tremendous work. Thank God we're a part of it. Thank God that we can move into it and experience God's blessing. Thank God for all that we have appreciated of his word. and We're able to be gathered to the name of the Lord Jesus. What a tremendous privilege. But we need to understand this, that God's work and the foundation of God stand sure. He is doing a work that will redound to his glory. No doubt about that. Finally, he says, Timothy, there's grace. Be strong in the grace. As in Christ Jesus, strengthening grace. When I think of God's grace, grace in salvation, grace in his word, grace in the ministry of the gospel, grace in appreciating fellow believers, Christians, just appreciate more of the grace of God. It will strengthen you. It has saved us. It is strengthening us. It is instructing us and so on. The grace of God is that reality that will keep us on track, keep us on target, keep us moving on for God. And so I trust that Second Timothy might be a little help to us, written from prison. But he's saying, listen, there's an awful lot going for us. He's alive, the risen Christ. He has absolute ability. He is able. The word of God is not bound. Keep preaching it, Timothy. The foundation of God, it is absolutely sure. It's not shaky. And there is strengthening grace. Timothy, be strong. Lay hold upon the grace of God. Yes, the glorious truth of the risen Christ is what gives us the strength and confidence to continue on in our Christian lives. His grace is boundless. His word will fulfill all that he intends it to. His constant presence and power will remain with us all our days, all because he is alive, never to die again, alive to welcome us home when our little journey here has ended. Yes, the Christian's prospect grows brighter every day. We trust that if you don't enjoy the wonders of this risen Christ, that you will walk no longer on the wrong road, but will turn to Christ and come into the good of his glorious resurrection.
If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or if you would like some literature that would help you understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at anchorpointradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're glad you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. Anchor Point is sponsored by believers in Christ who are meeting at various gospel halls. Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services every Sunday, as well as other meetings such as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. If you've been challenged by today's message and would like to know more about the truth of the gospel or of gathering unto the name of the Lord Jesus Christ following New Testament principles, take a look at our Anchor Point website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the gathering center nearest you. Our Anchor Point messages are also available for listening and download at anchorpointradio.com. My name is Glenn Todd. Thank you once again for listening, and we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for Anchor Point, where we believe that Christ alone is the anchor for the soul.